Good evening, you horny, amnesia-ridden murderers for hire. My name is Trevor. You may know me from the darkest parts of the World of Warcraft fanfiction communities online, and this is... Rachel Winter. You may know me from absolutely nowhere except this podcast. Yeah, that's from from the one episode that they've listened to thus far. And what an episode it was. Right? Thank you to everyone who listened to that episode and enjoyed the uh, foray into the world of ghostly, non-corporeal, penetrating, uh, just shit shows of, of a Christmas yeah. story. Yeah, no, uh, the, the response was pretty great. Uh, thank you to everyone who listened on SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play. Uh, if you guys can, like, just review comment subscribe just you know do all that great stuff that'll help us out help us keep the podcast growing and and really you know find our our niche among the uh the 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 disreputables and the perverts those are our people what can i say yeah so uh rachel how how you doing oh you know trevor uh i'm reeling from what i just read uh yeah yeah it's it's something. So I want I want to start with a brief anecdote, um, just a bit of uh, coincidence here. I just saw about three weeks ago the uh, 2015 Oscar-nominated film Sicario for the first time, and uh, it was solid, pretty good. Um, and hand to God, uh, I did not know very much about the book that we're about to read before we started reading it, which was about a week after I'd seen this movie. And come to find out that this book is, without exaggeration, gay Sicario fanfiction. It is literally the fact that this, the Jay Blair, the author hasn't been dealt a copyright infringement lawsuit is just. So is there like, there's like, there's like Mexican hitmen and amnesia in Sicario. Like how much. Well, way to give away the big, like (laughs) Shyamalan twist of the story, but we'll get there. Yeah. yeah, Hold your panties tight. I, um, I saw Moana. It's not related to this at all, but I just, I liked it a lot. I thought you wanted to I was going to say, if you're going to work that uh, into this somehow. No, no, I have, I have, I have but, nothing, but you should go see it. It's really good. All right, everyone uh, see Moana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Disney, give them, give us them kickbacks. Um, yeah. There will be no partnership between us and Disney. <laughs> no. oh, God. Unless things in the world get a little more dystopian than they already are. Right. Anyway. So this week we are discussing reviewing whatever it is that we do railing against we're railing against undercover hidden hitman book one by jay blair rachel you want to just just get right into it yeah let's let's just jump right into this there's a lot there's a lot happening here um lay it on me with uh, your sweet dulcet just a caveat there's some extremely sloppy handling of issues of gender identity and uh, if that rustles anybody's anything for good reason. Not to mention the issues of consent uh, that I thought were pretty. Just oh, there's that. There's for sure. there's th- this is a problematic work. Um, you know, I al- I want to start every time we do this by saying, you know, good on you authors for putting yourself out there. Good on you for actually completing a work and and making it uh, sort of publicly available that said um, and i'm not even sure that applies this time around given the heavy amount of plagiarism that is taking place here uh, but i mean there's enough it goes off the sicario script i guess enough i mean let's not be too 
rough on fan fiction writers. I'm just saying. Hey, no, we have a conversation about fan fiction and the merits of that. Like, I'm open. To oh, that. we gotta do a fan fiction I've episode got, someday. We just, we just. Have I've got to. no problem with, uh, with the idea of fan fiction. But, but this, usually, fan fiction doesn't charge you three. Yeah, bucks this for isn't it. for profit. That's that's we're getting into like ethics here. You know, authors. We respect you. We love you. We wouldn't be doing this if we weren't. That said, Jay Blair, we got problems. We have some issues. And we're going to address those. We're airing our grievances right now. So many grievances. Rachel, lay it on me. All right. So we open the story with a recap of what is literally the opening scene of the film Sicario. Uh, Our hero, whose name is Emmett Hume, uh, who's essentially an author self-insert in place of Emily Blunt's agent Kate Maser in the film. Those are Uh, both good names. Yeah, Macer? Fuck yeah. I mean, even Emmett Hume, I'm like, that's better than what I normally see in these. It's not like Butch Ramrod or something. (laughs) But anyway, so we open... Jessica Candlebottom. Jessica Candlebottom. Self-reference... Referentialness. Anyway. Emmett Hume, our our intrepid hero, recounts a mission gone awry here. Um, His team attempted to raid a house that was known to be under the control of a Mexican drug cartel and discovers a trap set for them, with the corpses of former hostages sealed up and hidden in the walls of the house. Uh, Again, plagiarism, because that's the first scene in the film. Um, Emmett says that these these hostages look like sentinels built living into the pyramids of kings for their own delusions of the afterlife, which I thought was a really cool line. That is a good line. And a really interesting image. It, It would be a lot cooler if the author had actually come up with the idea, but... Anywho, I mean, props let's, for, for that description. I, I actually want to look and see when this book was published because it would look real bad for you if it turns out that the movie Sicario plagiarized undercover. Oh, it absolutely, in book absolutely. One. Oh like, yeah, no, that would be an entire conspiracy. <laughs> Are we about to uncover something? Just like uh, publication date November eighth, twenty sixteen. Nope, you're oh. right. You're right. Sorry about it, Jay. Anyway. So this house that they tried to raid, rigged with explosives, and blasts the entire raid party to complete smithereens, causes numerous casualties, and no small amount of trauma for our hero, Emmett, who survives the blast and goes on to join an FBI task force in Mexico to continue to hunt for the cartel bosses, or jefes as they're repeatedly referred to in the story. And so here we actually jump into a a currently happening scene uh, in Juarez with Emmett and his fellow officers who have just finished shooting up a car full of cartel goons in another scene ripped straight from the film. I'm telling you, Trevor. I'm not, I'm not fucking... I gotta this. see this movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> you will... You're not missing I much. will spend the whole time I imagining them tongue-kissing. <laughs> You'll be sorely disappointed. The movie is very heterosexual. But... Uh-huh. I know, I'm so sorry. So here in this scene, we meet Alejandro, the hitman of the story's title, and also the name of uh, the hitman in Sicario, who sits next to Emmett here. Oh, really? Like, they're, like, the same name? The actual same name. Oh, good. This is how much Jay Blair is phoning it in. But, so anyway, Alejandro is sitting next to Emmett in the FBI FBI van during the shootout, and uh, immediately outs himself as being ominous as fuck. So when Emmett first speaks to Alejandro, their first exchange... He's expressing concerns about the fact that they just open fire in traffic with civilians all around and wonders aloud if their operation will be shut down before it even starts. And to this, Alejandro responds, Where is a circle begun? And where does it end? If you're wondering what the fuck that's supposed to mean, uh, same. Yeah, I, I reread it a couple of times to really try to to get what sort of metaphor he was going for, but um, no, 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 didn't ever. He tried it. Ne- never cleared it. This task force seems... 
remarkably unorganized just from the get-go. Like, there's no signal that they're going to start shooting. There's no, like, clear. Like, Emmett just kind of sits on his ass through the entire exchange of gunplay. Yeah, he's caught way off guard. You used the word intrepid earlier, and I'm going to call that into question because I don't think he does anything except, you know, things will go over later on. But he doesn't, as far as, as being an actual operative... He has he demonstrates no capacity for this job from I mean, the, from the books beginning to the end. He does prove himself to be intrepid, like in the sense of boning and like sexual manipulation. But, but yes. I, I don't think, think that's so something. Far is like busting drug cartels. Like he's not doing a whole. Yeah. Lot. Do you think that the FBI looks for those? Like if you listed those on your resume, that it would give you an up in their hiring process? Boning what? and sexual manipulation. I mean, I've never applied to the FBI. I can't. I can't okay, speak to their hiring process. That's true. We don't want to come off as ignorant yeah, here. I, I can't verify that either way. But so anyway, we already get the sense that Emmett just doesn't know what the hell he's doing, other than just mooning over Alejandro and his cryptic, cryptic. I love line. man. It's so cryptic. Anyway, after this uh, shit show. The group reaches the U.S. outpost in Juarez, and Emmett starts checking his bag to make sure none of his essentials were damaged in the shootout. And he starts to pull out women's clothing and fake rubber breasts, while Alejandro cre- creepily stands by and watches him do this for some reason. And we find out that Emmett sometimes goes undercover as a woman named Emmy to eavesdrop on criminals in nightclubs and bars. And his rationale for this is that women are, quote, women are noticed but not questioned so often. And that men talking business in public won't perceive women as a security threat. For whatever reason. I mean. Okay. First first of all, um, if we have any listeners in the FBI and you're not listening to us because we're on some sort of watch list, can you like let us know if this, just on a scale of one to magnificent, how bullshit is this? Like, does Jay Blair not think that they hire women in the FBI, that they need, like, androgynous boys to be their fake women on these undercover missions? Why would they not just hire a woman to do this job? Well, to give a little context, just for, like, in so, like just in terms of, uh, of gay erotica, from my experience, uh, most of the gay erotica stories that I've edited um, in my time uh, didn't have, a, like, any... F- any female characters who weren't sort of cartoonish, like side villains or like sort of throwaway characters. So the fact that you don't really see an actual female officer in this story, which you don't ever, is uh, not super surprising to me. Yeah, we, we we get female housewives. You do, and we get a um, we get a female cartel member later. We do, on. yeah. Like, props um, for that. But because that's even less uh, likely, I think, in a story like this. Right from the get go, this this movie is this this movie. The, the mo- right from it. the get go, the movie Sicario has lost me because <laughs> that's what we're reviewing. We're a movie podcast now. Um, right from the get go, this book has lost me in its in its most fundamental premise, and is not going to get any better. <laughs> No, it's not. Anyway, so this is where we get a little bit of description on Emmett's physical appearance. Um, he describes himself as physically feminine. Uh, the fact that he keeps his hair long for for the, for the purpose of of being an undercover female agent, and he states that he cannot grow facial hair and has no visible Adam's apple for again reasons unknown because he is a cisgender man. Uh, just a, a strange Hormone observation for him to make. Maybe we're not splitting hairs here. 
But he goes into some fairly interesting inner monologue during the scene about how his role as an officer is as much a performance as his undercover role as a woman, which I thought was actually a pretty insightful uh, comment. Just you know, that he's performing in both sort of like scenarios. You know, when the when the book's presentation of gender isn't wrapped up in his feelings about Alejandro and and about his situation when it's just sort of a exploration of how he performs these different roles and how he feels comfortable in both depending on what kind of clothing he slips into uh, there's a, there's the potential there there's a genuine co- sort of spark of having like a really interesting sort of gender queer protagonist in this work right and that that's another issue that i have with the work in general, is that the Jay Blair never really settles on sort of a concrete gender identity for Emmett. Like, there are moments where we get the sense of Emmett being maybe possibly gender fluid, but but then he sort of contradicts himself in ways. Yeah, there's a there's a scene later on that I'm sure we'll touch on uh, where the it's the I want to see the real you. I want you to take your glasses off and let your hair down scene. But it's but, more like take your skirt off and let your dick down. Yeah, and the whole let me see your real gender thing like <laughs> yeah there's a lot of new. problematic shit but uh, mostly coming from alejandro because he is as we'll find out like low-key transphobic high-key misogynistic just there's some choice quotes coming people so in this scene another thing that uh, that emmett says uh, about his performance of his various roles is that he only feels genuinely himself when he's alone and naked and i thought that was kind of poignant Mm-hmm. Again, sort of one of the few moments where we get some some genuine sort of exploration like, of ex- these themes. Yeah, and just like a statement on like the performance of like performing different gender physical aesthetic. I don't even know what I'm saying here. <laughs> you get it though. You get it. So anyway, moving on, we get our first description of Alejandro. He's described as having a neatly trimmed goatee, and uh, that his jaw, brow, and shoulders are all quite masculine. And uh, Emmett takes care to point out that Alejandro would never be able to successfully pull off a feminine disguise, unlike himself. I'm not sure where that, that observ- like, why that observation is relevant, but... Oh, you know, um, it's, it's... I wonder if that's something that Emmett just thinks about, like, what other other members of his party could could conceivably pass. <laughs> his, his D&D party. His uh, D&D party. <laughs> I think it's maybe potentially an exploration of, like, his pride at his ability to do this incredibly pointless job that he is that he has found an, uh, a role for himself doing this work is very obviously concerned with presenting this mask femme dichotomy mm-hmm. um, oh, and and playing them off of each other which again i think that there's something to that i would rather see that probably than the alternative which most you know gay erotic works usually go for which is either like mask for mask mask for mask or um or sort of femme twink for femme twink oh see Uh, i I see a lot of like super beefy like butch masculine men paired with with twinks or just having well you're having edited you do come from a a different background than i do but a lot of those stories are are written by women yeah that's another issue of presumably straight middle-aged women writing gay erotica and having no idea what they're talking about. We'll table that one for now, um, because things are about to get uh, a little hairy here. And and I don't mean that like in a literal way, just figuratively. So 
Uh, here is where things get, uh, at best, very sloppy with regard to uh, the handling of gender identity themes, and at worst, just super transphobic. Uh, so Alejandro, who is watching um, Emmett sort of pull all of these skirts and heels out of his bag to check for bullets, points out, I'd like to, quote, I'd like to think that I'd never be able to mistake a woman, that there's something so manly in me, it would detect a man even if he is in a dress and quite pretty. So powerful is Alejandra's beefy masculine aura that he can clock a gender nonconforming person from just a hundred yards away. Yeah, I just, I don't know what the author is trying to establish here. And maybe it's just that Alejandro comes from this like position of toxic masculinity in this, in this culture. And maybe it's sort of supposed to be characterizing of him. Yeah, I can't tell if it's deliberate on the part of Jay Blair that he's trying to make some kind of a statement about maybe, like, Alejandro's, like, cultural background or... Yeah, his 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 involvement in this crime sort of syndicate. Which is, I guess, I mean, there are, I'm sure, hyper-masculine elements of that, too. Yeah, for sure. But so he throws out that super offensive backhanded compliment, and Emmett responds with, quote, I fooled quite a few people, I think, unless they thought I was some sort of trans. So we're already off to a great start using the word trans as a noun. Some Uh, sort of trans. Just some sort of trans, you know. And so Alejandro immediately doubles down with some misogyny when he asks Emmett out on a date, but only as his female persona, Emmy, saying, I'm asking the skirt out on a date, if you don't mind. I wouldn't go grabbing at the skirt knowing it's you underneath, but I would treat her like a lady. What a nice guy we've got here. Yeah, that's that's the sort of invitation that you take without without consideration. Just taking the skirt out, not you, just the skirt. Yeah, well, yeah here, have it, and it just hands him the garment. And so for some reason, Emmett accepts this offensive proposition, and probably because, like Jessica, our candle-shaped heroine of yore, he is extremely thirsty for Alejandro, and has been from the start. Yeah. This is uh, the theme of thirst-clouding judgment... Is really what this podcast is all about. Overlapping self-respect. So they agree to go out on the town, the town being the highly dangerous uh, current-day Juarez, Mexico, for dinner after the briefing for their mission, which Emmett admits is a really stupid idea, but he justifies it with the following statement. I should really take my mind off of pleasures and keep my head in the game for our mission. But after the briefing, we're not doing anything tonight, but waiting for intel. And Alejandro's right. We both gotta eat. Flawless. I see literally no gaping holes with Flimsy this. Flimsy rationalization there. With this there. rationalization. There it is. That's It's all of the convincing that Emmett needs. And so before they go to the briefing, Alejandro graci- graciously offers to replace the high heels that we come to find have been shot through with bullets during that clusterfuck shootout. And uh, Alejandro, in this moment, reveals that he used to buy presents like that for his wife. And uh, we sort of uh, get the implication here that his wife is no longer with us. And Emmett kind of ruminates on that, wondering if there's a wife in the picture. We'll find out later that the wife has been beheaded, so she's not <laughs> Don't, don't worry, guys. Spoilers. <laughs> she's, she's no longer here. Don't worry. If you thought that there wouldn't be an instance of fridging in this gay erotic work... Um, What's fridging? You don't know what fridging is? I don't know fridging. Tell me. Uh, Fridging is a term, as far as I know, originating in comic books, wherein a female character is killed off solely to sort of um, spark the the character development of a male hero. Oh, God. Um, I've seen that everywhere. Yeah, it's. I think that the actual term comes from. There's a really infamous Green Lantern sort of. I don't remember if it's. I don't think it's the cover. It's a panel. Mm -hmm. But there's this really infamous Green Lantern panel. 
where he like opens up his fridge and his girlfriend is literally just like her corpse is stuffed in the fridge. Huh. Um, and it's um, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds stupid. But uh, that's that's a really common problem for sort of like the like male empowerment fantasy fiction, uh, wherein uh, they don't really know. Such what a to dearth do. of that. Too. Yeah, yeah, really. Why don't we have more? Um, but they don't really know what to do with the female characters once you know people, once the, all of their stories have been told. So um, you know, kill them. Yeah. Just ask them. anyone who's dated Matt Murdock. Oh yeah, those poor ladies. Spoil- spoilers, Daredevil season four. Oh no, is Homegirl dead? Uh, Rosario? No, no, uh. no. Um, no, it's Karen, I think her name is. Oh, Karen. Um, she, she like gets addicted to drugs, and then she gets AIDS, and then she gets shot. What? So, uh, comic books are not kind to the women that oh, date Matt Jesus. Murdock. Well... Good look, to know look, that's look forward to it. That's coming up in my I don't I don't I doubt they'll go that same it. way. They've they've been pretty good about handling yeah. that sort of thing thus far. Yeah, five stars to uh the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Netflix universe for churning out some good shit. And for, you know, not giving any of your um love interest aids for, for no reason. Yeah. For keeping the fridging to a minimum in yeah. other words. So, back to this shit show. So anyway, after the briefing, they've been briefed. There's a mission coming up, which once again is uh, ripped directly from the second act of Sicario, where uh, the team goes down into an underground tunnel to presumably catch another jefe. So you've got that to look forward to. In the meantime, Emmett prepares for his weird kind of quasi date with Alejandro, braiding his hair, shaving his legs, but only up to the knee, which is something that Emmett and I have in common. So shout out Emmett. So Alejandro rolls in with what I would describe as a pair of like circa 2002, like pay less summer cork wedges. They're secondhand. Like Alejandro makes this clear. Or maybe Emmett just sort of like gets the idea that he sort of bought them off of somebody who's worn them already. I thought that was an interesting little little tidbit. Alejandro going around the streets of Juarez, apparently asking, buying, asking women for their shoes. Buying <laughs> shoes from who knows who. And so he comes in with the shoes and we're treated to a scene of the two discussing the logistics of Emmett's tucked back dick uh, and the disastrous consequences that would arise if he were to get a boner, um, which according to Emmett has not happened yet on the job. But spoilers, it gonna happen. <laughs> uh, the All disastrous of consequences of getting a boner is... I kind of feel like that could be our title today. <laughs> this conversation happens while Alejandro sort of seductively helps Emmett strap on his wedges. And, and then they go off to their date, which is at a weird kind of cowboy bar in Juarez uh, that's playing some contemporary country music. Just a weird scene, a weird vibe to this bar. I will say, though, in an entirely different context, the, um, like, let me sit back and you put on this article of clothing for me, like, put the, put it on me, could actually kind of work for me. Oh, like, yeah. That, 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 that scene would actually be kind of hot in an entirely different oh, context. Absolutely. There's some power play happening there, yeah. and it's... And it is kind of a, like a brief and, moment where it's like something sexy happens, but it's completely not on purpose. Like, yeah, and 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 in that context where the power is with the sort of willowy androgynous, definitely not trans. The author wants you to absolutely know yeah. that, that he's not trans, but which I you know, found with, kind of offensive too. With, like, don't worry, guys. <laughs> don't worry, he's not trans. Uh, 
this doesn't have to give you any complicated feelings. But if if that had been the intent to sort of put some of the power with the much less physically powerful partner, that could be... I would like to see that dynamic It's a explored. sexy trope. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But yeah, not not so sexy in this case. Just No. <laughs> just just weird and kind of gross. Because Alejandro is weird and kind of gross. So anyway, they, they're they at this cowboy bar and Alejandro wastes no time and immediately starts feeling Emmett up and sending just the most egregious mixed signals to this poor guy who's been thirsting all this time. Yeah, I just... Usually a work like this wants to establish the main character or the, the main object of desire as desirable, right? So what do we know about Alejandro up at this point? We know he says sort of cryptic, like, Confucius-y things. Transphobic. Transphobic. And murderer. Yeah. We don't, we don't know. Do we know that he's a murderer? He, we know he, he's he a kills man, so by nature. Yeah. Doi. Okay. So those are, those are the three things we, and lecherous. He's like, he's, he's, he's like a murderous, Confucius-y, transphobic lech. With like vaguely 50s era, like ideas of femininity, or, or at least in terms of the jargon he uses, like calling a woman a skirt. This is such a strange, like it's very dames, very broads, dames, broads, female. At least it wasn't females. I mean, oh god, we're what one day in the in the far flung future when we finally get our first piece of MRA uh, fetishism. Bring it on! <laughs> I want to be savage. So we've got Alejandro here just groping Emmett with abandon uh, in the middle of this redneck bar, and just Emmett hoping to God that he doesn't get clocked as an actual, like, man in drag. But at this point, uh, Alejandro suggests that they take the night elsewhere, you know, if you know what I mean. Go for coffee and dessert, and everyone knows that coffee and dessert doesn't mean coffee and dessert. He wants to fuck him in a hotel room. Yeah. Probably with the lights off. Or maybe just, like, in an alley. I don't know. Alejandro's (laughs) not... It's Alejandro. He could be in an alley. He's not really beating around the bush, nor is he, like, making this any more romantic than it absolutely has to be. He's, he's very much a, I'm gonna take you to TGI Fridays and fuck you in the bathroom kind of guy. That's a type. If yeah, So just picture this cowboy bar in Juarez as a TGI Fridays. <laughs> and we basically got that scenario. So while Alejandro is closing out their tab, getting ready, uh, Emmett kind of ruminates on his lack of a sex life due to his job and just the stresses that go along with it. And he says this uh, just about his attitude towards sex. Quote, I greet sex like a camel drinks water. I take in all I can get and then move on. When I feel totally depleted, there should be another oasis nearby. And onward I move again. Tonight's oasis is Alejandro. Occasionally, the work just like touches, like like dips a toe in pools of like being relatable or understandable or even sympathetic. And then just like, no, nope, that was enough. That, that that one sentence, that's good for the next two chapters. Yeah, I mean, there was a solid paragraph in this passage where he does, I, I didn't think to write it down, but he does sort of talk about how trivial it would feel to try to remember important dates in a relationship or like do sort of average mundane relationshipy things just while he's simultaneously dealing with the really traumatic aspects of his job. I mean, it was it was kind of a moment for Emmett. I, I thought it was good, honestly. Yeah. But then out comes this weird camel quote and just loses my faith all again. Really? I, I, I didn't I didn't hate the camel quote. You didn't hate it? No, I didn't. I don't uh, know if I hate it. I'm definitely not like moved by it. I mean though. it's it's thoroughly mediocre, but uh the line the bar is not high. No. It's and not. thoroughly mediocre is above the bar at this point. It's true. I forget for a moment what we're dealing with here. <laughs> so 
uh, Emmett does not get a chance to dip into that oasis because out of fucking nowhere, a hood is thrown over his head. He is zip tied and thrown into a van. We find out that his captors are enemies of Alejandro's and they think they kidnapped the hitman's girl, quote, to use his leverage against him. And there's a sort of a terrifying scene when they, uh, Emmett is in the van. He's blindfolded. He's sort of listening for context clues about like how how much they can observe about him and the fact that he is actually a man in disguise. And they do realize uh, pretty quickly uh, what's going on there. Throw out some homophobic slurs in Spanish about Alejandro. And then they pistol whip, presumably Emmett, because he does this fade to black unconscious. And then the world went black. It's a really common and really lazy way for erotica writers to just wrap up a chapter and, and switch gears. So that happens. Sudden brain damage. Sudden brain damage. The scene fades to black. And we have Emmett coming to in this sort of like Buffalo Bill style unfinished basement dungeon with one of his captors brandishing a knife at him. And this guy tells him in no uncertain terms that he's being used as a pawn to take out Alejandro. And he has a few minutes to wonder if he's about to be carved up like a rotisserie chicken before his superior officer, whose name is Commander Digger. (laughs) Which is kind of like like the... I was really hoping we could get through the entire episode without saying that name out loud. It reminds me of that. If you, anybody's ever seen uh, Mystery Science Theater, that you know that episode it was like Butch Squat Thrust. Oh, like, Beef McLarge Huge. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like Fridge McLarge Huge. Uh, it's it's beautiful. Uh, God, is that Space Mutiny? It's Space Mutiny. Yeah. Yeah. So, listeners, Google Space Mutiny. Mystery Science Theater, um, McLarge Huge. Uh, it's, yeah, it's I think a, it's Big McLarge Huge. Yeah, Big McLarge but Huge. But that, that's what came to mind when Commander Digger came on. It's like game. beef, hard truck, um, slab. Something uh, gristle meat. Slab gristle meat. <laughs> Jump squat oh, thrust. Funnier people than us. Funnier people than us. Than we will ever by be. By far. <laughs> so Commander Digger, in this sort of like A-team moment, like busts in with his squad in tow saves the day, blows away the guy with the knife like it's nothing. And so after the rescue, the commander, Commander Digger, reveals that the whole date scenario with Alejandro was just a ploy to bring out Alejandro's enemies and get them out of the woodwork and that just into the light to be shot, presumably. And for the second time in the second episode in a row, I'm gonna say, guys, attend a leadership seminar. You're <laughs> like you guys the leaders in these works are just awful at being leaders. Well, Commander Digger's awful, also, like, awful at being a human being. If you haven't noticed, like, he is really, like, he's very homophobic and not in an entirely subtle way. He just sort of, I can't tell if, and I, I didn't, I didn't, like, have the presence of mind to get quotes to back this up, but he does, the things that he says to Emmett make me wonder if either A, he's got a secret, like, repressed boner for Emmett, or if he's just garden variety homophobic, because... He is just... I just can't understand. Shit. The The author does go out of his way to establish Captain Digger as, like, this kind of, like, unapproving, like, homophobe. Which is totally reasonable when what he's approving of is what happens later in the work. But I don't understand how the author wants us to, like, parse that he's, like, this really homophobic guy 
when he has like someone on his task force whose whole job it is to dress up like a lady and kind of seduce dudes. Right. And that, that goes back to that whole the like, questionable. Certainly Emmett didn't like we just walk into the office one day. He's like, hey, I can do this. Like you want to put he this might have, though. We don't we don't think we ever and, find that out, do we? I mean, that seems highly unlikely. Maybe so. Like, certainly this was an assignment that someone gave him first. I don't know. I think we're getting too far into, like, what might be. But fair. I just don't feel like FBI task forces are, like, fucking show and tells where you, like, show up with your special skill and then they work <laughs> around that. True. Again, yeah, I don't know how any of that works, but I I would assume that, it, yeah, you're right. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. Where are we here? So Commander Digger, homophobe in chief, reveals that the whole scenario, the date and all was a plan that everybody but Emmett was in on to take down these enemies of Alejandro's. And so, yeah, the entire team knew, Alejandro Alejandro knew, and uh, Commander Digger's rationalization for keeping Emmett in the dark is to say that it would aid in believability, which makes no sense at all. Emmett's already already performing this this undercover persona. You might as well give him all the all the details. Yeah, it's ridiculously contrived. It like, makes no sense. Incredibly contrived. In a in a sea of contrivances, uh, is this is contrivances. I believe it. I I assume <laughs> I've never heard it spoken. <laughs> but yeah, no. In a sea in a sea of contrivances, uh, it's another this, doozy. This this is a tidal wave. It's it's bad guys. So. I mean, Emmett understandably is pissed off about this, but he, I mean, he doesn't really put up much of a fight. I don't think he doesn't like put up a stink about it. Yeah, okay, he, Commander, that makes sense. He sulks about it, and he's mostly concerned about Alejandro and how how insincere. How could this transphobic, murderous goon betray me like this? Yeah, his his main like point of concern is like how real was the groping that went down last night? How much of that was an act? <laughs> Again, the thirst prevails. So what Emma does is he gets a little huffy, but just kind of sulks by himself about it for a while. And then when he confronts Alejandro about it the next day, Alejandro offers a half-assed apology for his part in the scheme. And he does imply in the vaguest way possible that his attraction to Emmett eh, as Emmy, the female persona, was not entirely faked. So he's kind of dangling this little bit of hope in front of Emmett, which is a dick move, but... It's a dick move and a long line of dick moves that we see from Alejandro. At this point, we're gearing up for this aforementioned tunnel scene, which is very vaguely described and doesn't really matter. Uh, it's just... Like all of these sort of action movie trappings. Yeah. It is uh, a scene from Sicario, but it's like the author maybe like sort of paid attention during the scene while watching and plagiarizing the movie and was like, all right, we're going into a tunnel. Something happens. I don't know. The team goes into the tunnel. They kind of fuck around in the tunnel for a while, not really getting anything done. Emmett is following Alejandro this whole time and follows him into sort of this like big warehouse room where we see that, uh... well, before they wander into the warehouse room where shit's about to go down, we do find out that Alejandro's wife and daughter were murdered by the cartel, beheaded and thrown into a vat of acid, respectively. Another very specific plot point pulled from the oh, movie. I, I'm sorry, did you say a vat of acid? Because I believe what was written was a vast of acid. Yeah, that uh, that was an interesting typo we found. A vast of acid. Uh, yeah, this work was not edited very well. Uh, typos abound, run on sentences, really make oh, up most run of the work. Um, and can we talk really quick? I'm sure we, we can come back to this, but... This work uh, is written in present tense, and I hate it. In first person present tense. I hate it so much. 
Can I just want our erotic writers of the world? I just want right now. Can we all agree? Like pinky swear. I'm holding up my pinky. I want you too. I'm also holding mine up. Uh, never again with the present tense first person. Like it's always weird. It's always off putting. It makes your sentences flow like garbage. And and it's inconsistent in the book. A couple of times we dip into past tense I didn't for even no notice. reason. Honestly, um. there's so much other fuckery <laughs> happening that this is. Just- but I believe it because this, yeah, this was not and written by a master of the language. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, please don't do that. Do you have more to say on that? No, well, no. That was I, it. Okay. I, that, that's my tantrum that out of the way. A plea, a very earnest plea. Very earnest. And so we, yeah, we pinky promised. We did. Our Everybody. pinkies were both up. <laughs> so we we do find this out about Alejandro, which I, I guess is supposed to humanize him a little. Didn't really do it for me. There's just no. I mean. Again, fridging happens. It's it's easy, lazy shorthand. Yeah. Uh, if I wanted to read about a toxically masculine douchebag with a dead family, I just read a Punisher comic. Uh, <laughs> Dragged. Yeah. It's. I mean, maybe if we'd gotten like there was a good opportunity for maybe like a flashback scene with Alejandro and his family, yeah. or maybe a flashback to the murders where we see him sort of like fall to his knees in anguish, the way that these dudes do in all of these the- works. So the issue that I have with this trope, with and, 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 and well, the one of the many issues that or I have just with like male character angst. Um, no, I'm fine with male character angst. I think it could be fine. Um, the, the 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 main issue that I have with the application of this trope, not necessarily the implication, if if the distinction is is clear. Yeah. The application that I, of this trope, the problem I always have is we're always told that this happened. And we're supposed to feel sad that it happened at all. We don't get a glimpse as to how it makes the character feel. We don't get a glimpse of how they have to deal with it and how they have to move on. We don't get a sense of the weight that it plays on them. It's just dead family isn't that sad. And in this case, work, it's literally just his family's dead. We don't hear it from Alejandro. We don't hear Alejandro react to it. It's just someone else relaying it to him. Right. Uh, you know, you it's think like about- third-hand information. Like, it's so <laughs> lazy. The author is expecting this emotional response based on so little that is done to earn that response. Yeah. Like, there's just not, like, from one line of, like, oh, this happened. Okay, yeah, if- give me more. Like, it, it doesn't- my heartstrings a little, please. It tells us about Alejandro's past, but it doesn't tell us anything about Alejandro. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest reason that this doesn't work here and that why right. it usually yeah. doesn't work, period. We get no sense of like how this has shaped him. We know that he's angry and misanthropic. It doesn't like there's no connection made really, other than mm-hmm. what we're told. Which isn't enough. I don't I'm not satisfied with that. No. So we learn that about Alejandro and it's unsatisfying as we've harped on. As we've harped <laughs> on. Oh, we've harped. So that's- Squawked, I believe, is going to become our verb of choice. For what we do? Yes. Oh, yeah. This is the squawking... <laughs> the squawk cast. <laughs> so anyway, so the squad wanders through this tunnel system for a while, just, as I said, fucking around. Emmett's following. He, he trails Alejandro into a tunnel that opens into this sort of big warehouse room. Uh, where they immediately see a major drug deal taking place. Alejandro wastes no time in shooting one of the men immediately, and then there's another who is uh, a Juarez cop who um, he gets ready to take down this guy as well. And b- before he can do that, uh, Emmett jumps up in, in like the only moment of bravery he has so far in the story and points a gun at Alejandro, demanding that he release the man he's about to kill. And in spoilers, surprise, surprise, another moment taken exactly from Sicario... 
Alejandro shoots Emmett in his Kevlar vest, knowing that it's not going to kill him, but still just the dickest of moves, knocking him back, fracturing his ribs, we later find, and saying in a direct quote from Benicio del Toro, don't ever pull a gun on me. Wow. So, I, I would never have known if you hadn't seen this movie. That yeah. that, that this, that the, <laughs> how, how deep the similarities run. No, I know. That's why I think it's so, it's funny that I had just seen this movie and just happened to have seen it kind of on a whim. Suddenly, <laughs> deja vu in, in a huge way. But yeah, it's, ugh. Anyway, Emmett blacks out yet again, wakes up in a hospital with like I said, fractured ribs and just a, a lot of questions. And uh, Commander Digger is is there, of course, to be low-key judgmental and also fill him in on what went down with him and Alejandro and then what happened with that drug deal. And then he drops just this random plot twist got me saying, what the fuck? Yeah, let's pretend that I have a dun-dun-dun soundboard. Yeah. On hand. It's a dun-dun-dun moment. We find that Alejandro, at some point during this this event, has taken a blow to the head and has dun-dun-dun <gasps> amnesia. Lay gasp. Lay gasp. And so that's where the story now, uh, for the remainder of, of the story, uh, diverts from the plot of Sicario, for which I'm personally pretty grateful. And Into, into what is just a truly baffling shit show um it's like a mr and mrs smith meets transphobia meets uh, like weird very murky areas of sexual consent oh yeah 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 so i'll go ahead and take over this summary if you don't mind and oh, yeah. just move this a little over here thank you uh so uh commander digger tells emmett that he is holding Emmett responsible for this whole situation for reasons that I don't understand. Like, because he it was because, to be fair, not really that fair, but uh, Commander Digger did uh, warn Emmett before they went into this tunnel that Alejandro might go kind of off the grid mission-wise, and that if he did that, that uh, Emmett was to not interfere. But if he hadn't interfered, then the situation would have resolved the exact same way, minus Emmett getting shot. Like, he's responsible for that, but Alejandro running off with the with his hostage and running afoul of this jefe and, and getting amnesia, that would have happened the exact same way. That's true. Like, yeah. his whole, oh, let this, like, dangerous, unpredictable element just run wild on our mission plan is a bad plan. Anyway, so we find out that Alejandro ran off with his hostage, and in, in events relate to us that happened entirely off screen, we're giving no context for, at some point he ran afoul of the jefe. The jefe disappeared. No one knows whether he's alive or dead. No one knows where he is. I mean, let's be real. The jefe is about as important as Alejandro's dead family in this story. Oh, yeah. And that he's there somewhere. Well, actually, at least the fucking jefe's like impetus for plot to happen. True. And I think uh, that Hefe actually gets named, doesn't he? Michael something? Who cares? Uh, <laughs> but I, I do like, this is just occurring to me now, but I do think that it's a little bit bullshit that, uh, that Alejandro's wife and daughter don't, are, don't get an identity, but, but, but the, the, the Hefe does. The Hefe does. So, uh, the Hefe just has disappeared and Alejandro shows up with a head injury and now he has a Amnesia. Amnesia. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, and Commander Digger tells Emmett that until Alejandro's memory comes back, 
and until he can tell them what happened to the Hefe, he's going to be placed in protective custody, which, all right, don't know why you wouldn't just put him in jail, but, uh... Yeah, because he's, he's not really a member of their squad, he's... He's, he's a contract he, hitman. Like yeah, he's, he's he's not. There's no reason to take this like dangerous dude who like screwed over and betrayed your task force. There's no reason to coddle him in the way that they do. But they're going to. So let's move on. While he's in protective custody, he'll need an agent monitoring him at all times, and they believe that Emmett is the best call for this. But not Emmett as himself. They want him to dress as a woman full time assume the role of Emma, the uh, Alejandro's um, fiancé slash wife that they're going to pretend that he had, and basically um, play like happy houses with this amnesiac hitman and convince his amnesiac self that they were like engaged and that they're in love. And then he's just supposed to sort of like babysit this dude until his memory comes back. Uh, And presumably like try to trick him in so many I mean in so many ways but yeah it's 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 let's build this like really flimsy like house of cards out of these just like steadily mounting lies right like we're we're gonna move into a house that doesn't have any pictures of us in it and we're going to just like live here where none of the neighbors know us and we're just going to have to maintain the illusion that Emmett is a cisgendered woman and your wife and just so much about this plan doesn't make any fucking sense. Once again, it seems like it would be more logical to have, I mean, for the sake of, well, considering what we know about Alejandro and his his toxic masculinity and the way that he has sort of established that he's a straight. He, he's not into any, like, gender non-conforming anything. That's the impression that we get. And so the fact that they're assigning Emmett to be in 24-7 drag, um, with the very real possibility that, that Alejandro will find out that he's not a cisgender woman and well, he, might, uh, that, he might be violent. We don't know that. That's that's another weird part of it, because they, they, they tell him straight out. Or This doesn't actually... I don't actually know how this scene was meant to play down because when Emmett first encounters Alejandro after he leaves the uh, hospital room and has his mission. And after Alejandro is an amnesiac at this point. Yeah. um, He's introduced to Alejandro who the task force has renamed Alex. They're telling him that his real name is Alex. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're introducing Emmett to him as Emma. And Emmett just goes right out and says like, Hey, we were married. I'm trans. You're cool with it. <laughs> he didn't, but that—that's where things get a little confusing to me too, because he doesn't say even that he's trans necessarily, but just that he's—he says actually I'm a man, but I dress like this, and we both like it. So it—it it blurs the line to me as to like whether this would is even hypothetically like an issue of Emmett's actual gender identity versus like. Here's this is a cross-dressing fetish we both enjoy. So it's really sloppily handled in that regard. But if and again, this this book's handling of all of these trans themes is so fucking clumsy. But if it was just like this cross-dressing fetish that they're both into, would he do it 24/7? Like Right. Yeah, that's 
And and really, I mean, I'm into like, fucking sports gear. I'm not asking someone to go around in a rugby kit 24 seven. True. Like, but if you were really, really into it, you might. Um, you know, uh, climate not with <laughs> climate notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> That's true. It's just it's just a weird. The author really wants to have the benefits of having the sort of trans protagonist and explore these issues. Well, no, he wants the benefits of having this trans protagonist. He without wants the, exploring the issues. Without exploring these issues. Yeah. Giving him all of the like narrative possibilities without actually having to do any of like the heavy lifting yeah, without having, of exploring like, the complexities. The responsibility or like a sense of responsibility dealing with like a trans character. Like you should be treading a little bit more lightly than you're doing. Yeah, uh, without having the responsibility of having a trans. A trans, yeah. yeah. So we follow uh, Alejandro, now Alex, and Emmett, now Emma, as they head up through Texas to where they'll be staying in Tennessee. That's the where the safe house that they've been assigned is located. They stop for breakfast, and Alejandro begins to ask questions about their past together. Emmett lies and lies and lies, uh, reveling in his power to rewrite their history to better suit his interests. The first sign that all of the like theoretical complexities of consent in this situation are just like not <laughs> running through Emmett's head at all. Not at all. There's there's some interesting questions to be written here. I don't think from an erotic work, but if this was a thriller and someone was having to like take this like really like dangerous guy and sort of like rewrite his memories for the benefit of people around them sure or yeah. or the greater good there's something to that there is um but uh it's not where this work is interested in yeah going. it's another squandered opportunity to have some like really interesting conversations and but we do see what i think is kind of a darker side of emmett where like you said, like he doesn't take like the question of consent in like within these parameters. It's it's really impressive to me how quickly the work manages to switch our um, sympathies mm-hmm. to switch. Oh, like Alejandro is this like really gross, toxic masculinity, transphobic, murderous douchebag, and then suddenly, oh no, Alejandro is like got an impaired mental state and is being taken advantage of seriously unethically taken advantage of so Alejandro begins to ask questions about their sex lives and Emmett commits to eventually having you know the relations with the big guy (laughs) the relations uh, despite Alex's impaired mental state he explains a bit to Alejandro about his preferences as far as gender presentation um, tries to relay what he tells us the audience about you know his how he feels when he's in and out of of drag and mm-hmm. out of his drag persona and how they're really two distinct beings as far as he's concerned right um he tries to relay this to alejandro and again there's like the slightest hint that there's something interesting going on but it's never brought up again wasted opportunities jay <laughs> They make it back to the house that they'll be sharing, and Emmett cases the joint, figuring out how he's going to make this lie work. I thought that was actually a really interesting uh, moment where they're on their way back to the house, and Alejandro's sleeping off his amnesia. And so Emmett's thinking about, well, number one, more incompetence on the part of Commander Digger and company, that they left all all the previous uh, people who were occupying the safe house all their shit's still there. Like, their toothbrushes are there. Like, their their razors, their toiletries, or what have you. So Emmett's thinking about the logistics of getting in 
kind of clearing out all of this, these previously used items and not only doing that, but also kind of getting the lay of the land. And like, he points out like how weird it would be if they came to this home and he didn't know like what drawer the silverware was in. So it's, I thought that was like surprisingly thoughtful, thoughtful. For, for how the situation might actually right. play out and the logistics thereof. And of course it's never a point of contention or brought up again. No, but for a glimmering moment, <laughs> we thought something clever was happening. <laughs> we were wrong. Mm-hmm. So they make it to the house and, you know, Emmett cases the joint, figures out, you know, how he's going to make everything work. And Alejandro asks if they have pet names for each other. And Emmett asks him to call him his Tennessee lamb. And I cringe myself into a black hole. I cringe too, but that felt like a very human, I don't know. It was so, it's so out there that you get the impression that Emmett is like, here is my moment. <laughs> to take advantage of like the weirdest desire that I for like Emmett has been spending his game. entire life. He has been spending his entire adult life hoping that someone will call him their Tennessee Lamb, and this is his moment. Is, he's just drunk with the power of getting to like to write <laughs> this relationship into existence. It's it's pretty entertaining. If it it's wasn't pre- so disturbing, if it wasn't also, deeply unnerving, like and also just Tennessee Lamb different. definitely sounds real Buffalo Billy. Like oh yeah, my Tennessee Lamb. Uh, <laughs> and Emmett uh, waxes poetic about fucking Walt Whitman of all things. For, oh like, yeah, two paragraphs. Um, he then goes out to sort of shop for living supplies because again they need toothbrushes, toothpaste, toiletries, and lube. And uh, yeah, of yeah. course, all things that. Could have been like stocked, minus the lube. Yeah. Maybe nobody <laughs> saw that coming. But I mean, put some damn toothbrushes in there. You're 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 sending people to a safe house. You know they're going to clear out the old toothbrushes. Put some new toothbrushes. The FBI in this work um, is really Just really dropping the, ball. dropping the ball, and you know not not the least of which because they're implicitly allowing one of their agents to be a rapist. But yeah. uh, so Emmett, while he's at the store, calls Commander Digger. To make sure that Alejandro is clean of STDs, uh, Commander Digger is understandably very disapproving of this line of questioning. The only thing that he's very understandably disapproving of in this work. Commander Digger appro- uh, confirms that, yes, Alejandro is clean. So feel free to take advantage of that mentally broken person. Plow with abandon. And the author says. obviously really wants to uh, write a barebacking scene. So he makes his way back home where Alejandro has cooked them a meal. They talk about their fictional, entirely lie-based lives together. And Emmett leads him into the living room for a practical demonstration of what their sex life looks like. And then they fuck. Uh, Alejandro's blindfolded until the moment of penetration. And Emmett For gets no a- reason, really. <laughs> you know bondage play is fun and, and it's such like throwaway bondage play though yeah it's it's let me blindfold you for a solid 30 seconds done uh and Emmett gives a line that i feel really sums up everything about this work i wanted it like this to cross the line before i had to look at him again i wish this could have happened honestly i me wish it could have happened too. honestly too man yeah. Jay, come on. I think like, we all wish that. The fuck is interrupted by Alejandro deciding that he wants to see Emmett naked outside of his feminine persona. Emmett takes this as a sign that what he's doing isn't morally reprehensible, which... Wrong. Wrong. Uh, they begin once again to fuck, this time with Emmett presenting as his male self and Alejandro asking for his true, air quotes, name, 
which Emmett gives. Problematic! <laughs> uh, we we need to uh, get to the point where we're comfortable having guests on this show and uh, have an actual trans person on here, because I don't feel qualified to really communicate how fucked all of this is. I don't either, other like, than just to say, hey, this is fucked. Just, just we ma- recognize that it's fucked. We're trying to, like... We, like we, we're just gonna sit here and make... Dig through just, the mire to sort of, like... Noise for, yeah. like, 15 minutes, just whimpering and sobbing. But it's true. I mean, neither of us really, like, this isn't this isn't our, like, area of expertise. But it, it's fucked. Yeah. Suffice uh, so is Emmett. Emmett is also uh, being heartily fucked. Hey! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had to pick it up. Uh, they eat dinner and go to sleep, and Emmett rises the next morning to Alejandro making him pancakes. Duh. Uh, Can I share this, like, the epic uh, quote that uh, we were gifted with during the sex scene? Oh, let's, 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 let's save okay. it for our, our favorites and least favorites. I'm honestly not sure which one that falls under for me. <laughs> it's For me, it's it's a favorite. Yeah. For uh, all the wrong reasons. Yeah. We'll get um, there, though. So Alejandro continues to sort of assert himself as like this like perfectly lovely docile creature that's being radically taken taken advantage of uh, in this work. And Emmett suggests that they begin to sort of clean their house and and get it sort of presentable. Uh, while they do that, he muses about the long term viability of their situation. Hint: It's not very good. Uh, no. This house of cards will inevitably fall to even the slightest of breezes. Um, later, Alejandro approaches him and asks to give him oral sex, and Emmett continues to rationalize why none of this is morally problematic. Alejandro says that he loves him, and Emmett quite rightly says that he, Alejandro, doesn't even know who Emmett is. But Alejandro says that he doesn't know that he loves Emmett. He feels it. Aww. Yeah. I call bullshit. I call bullshit. I've, I'm, I'm running out of ways to call bullshit. Uh, oral sex continues, and shortly after it's over, they are visited by their dumpy, literal, just, that's the only descriptive word we have for this people, is dumpy, uh, neighbors, Bob and Susan, the only names that these people could have really had, um, who invite them to a 4th of July barbecue. And they agree. Uh, a few weeks lit and a really strange bathing suit selection scene later. <laughs> and uh, Emmett is modeling his female presenting swimsuit for Alejandro, discussing how good it is at hiding his business. Uh, they go to the party and Emmett as Emma infiltrates the local women who are delighted by his feminine charms and his adorable <laughs> relationship with I Alejandro. I like the phrase, infiltrates the local women. <laughs> And that's all they are, really. They're never given any, uh, you know, sort of personalities or They're hopes sort of generically or southern in, like, a very cartoonishly Paula Deen way. Yeah, they, he, he infiltrates a wild herd of Paula Deens. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking Grizzly Man. <laughs> um, they enjoy a nice time boating at this party until confronted by it. I'm sorry. It just... Imagining the ending of that movie. Can that be our tagline? Something about a herd of qualities. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's, it's like really. Man. I don't know if it's really representative of the work as a whole. No. Uh, they're enjoying a nice time boating at this party until they're confronted. Did you say boating by- or boning? Boating. Boating. Ting. Ting. They're not boning at the party. No. Uh, but they're that bo- would stretch the limits of their host's southern hospitality. <laughs> no. um, I mean, they brought potato salad. <laughs> It's, it balances. 
Uh, until they're confronted by a sneering douche canoe whose name I didn't bother to write down. It was Joey. Oh, okay. I remember. <laughs> Who becomes bizarrely aggressive out of fucking nowhere and starts threatening to throw Emmett uh, off the boat after making some really out of place jokes about the size of his penis. His Joey's penis. Joey's uh, he penis. still believes that that Emmett is is Emma. He is um, just hell bent on throwing Emma quote into the pool and lake. Lake. Whatever. They're on a body of water. <laughs> it's, that's how that's how much I gave a shit about this. This scene would be a lot less dramatic if they were just like in a little <laughs> like lap pool. <laughs> They're in an above ground pool. Yeah. Anyway. Um into the lake, rather. And Alejandro comes to the rescue and scares him off before confronting comforting Emmett. <laughs> I'm don't know. Uh, they enjoy the rest of the party before returning home. While making out, they're attacked by Steering Douche Canoe and his lady love, whose name I also didn't write down. Mariana. Why do I remember this? Look at you. Are you, are you she's not even holding her notes right now. That's just from her brain. <laughs> the Can't two are revealed as being members of the drug cartel, hoping to find out what happened to the jefe and intent on torturing the information out of Alejandro. Alejandro, meanwhile... Uh, takes advantage of Emmett's distraction, which is really just talking to them for two seconds, uh, and uses the opportunity to brutally murder both of them. He wonders aloud how he knows how to kill so efficiently, but doesn't seem to remember anything further. And he doesn't really question it, like, deeply. <laughs> Why? I'm good at murder! Uh, yeah, he's just like, well, that, that was weird. It's like, like when you, you know, play like a, like one of those stupid little like party games for the first time. Uh, and you just have a really good hand the first time, and it re- goes really well. I'm like, wow, I'm great at this game. It's like but that, it's, but, but with, with, but with, but with murder. But brutal, hideous murder. Yeah. Um, it's pretty it's, graphic. It, it's he, pretty he, graphic. he responds exactly the same way. And it's, you know, at this point, I'm dead inside from this work. So yeah. I just, I don't have any uh, shock left. So Emmett calls to his superior um, to help with the disposal of the bodies, who arrives and manages to pass a convincing enough lie to keep the uh, ruse going. Something, something, these were the people who uh, attacked you on your honeymoon, which is still the the lie that they've got in place, that, yeah. that Alex and Emma were on their honeymoon when they were attacked by someone in, uh, in Juarez. Why they were on a honeymoon to Juarez? I don't know. Maybe but. it was like one of those mission trips, like... <laughs> Those sad, misguided evangelist groups go on. Did do they go to Juarez? I mean, they did like circa maybe eight years ago. I think that seems ill advised. Probably not in twenty sixteen. No. Uh, a lot of things are ill advised in twenty sixteen. Uh, he walks Emmett up to somewhere private, like a home office on the second floor, where he gives him a talking to about the gross failures of judgment at every level of this job. Um, he sort of makes it Emmett's problem, but let's let's be real here, uh, Commander Digger. It's one of like seven dressing downs that Emmett gets from Commander Digger throughout when, the story. Really, get your. Get your people together. Glass houses, stones, get your house in order, bud. Emmett and Alejandro are sent to bed while the cleanup happens, and they share a moment of disbelief at their circumstances, and then they fuck again. Time passes in a blur as Alejandro's memory fails to return, eventually cutting to a month in the future with their lives basically unchanged. The book then ends on Emmett musing about how he wishes to stay the way that they are forever, and a sequel is hinted at the end. Although, even though the sequel is hinted at, I think that the story of these per- this particular pair is tied up. Do do we know that? Do, have 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 you bothered to take a look at? Uh, I, I did at read book two. 
I n- hell no, but I did read uh, the sort of postscript that said like this story may be over, but there's more in the series. So I, which gives me the impression that we get left sort of just wondering. This is a horror story where it is where, literally where, a horror where, story where, where where one of the where the Duder protagonist um, is just left with his rapist forever. It's a horror story in several like senses of the word too, because not only is there that element to it, but there's also the fact that Alejandro could regain his memory at any time and become sort of like righteously enraged by the fact that he has been uh, essentially being raped by Emmett this entire time, and just not only that, but taken advantage of on every level. So, so now that we're done with the summary of the story, Rachel, Trevor, <laughs> did you like Undercover? Hidden Hitman, book one. Well, you know, I loved Sicario. <laughs> I loved the movie Sicario. I well, loved Moana. That's, yeah. that's a lie. I really did enjoy it, though. But um, <laughs> if only this was a Moana story, but not uh, a sexual one. That was weird. Cut that out. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, there. Uh, as with our last story, like there were little nuggets of, of story that I did like, and, and moments where... I was almost impressed by like the the attempts at, at nuance, but on the whole, no, no, I didn't. Um, I spent the first half just flabbergasted by the copyright issues that were happening, and then the second half just feeling emotionally cheated. Really, like I felt like I was being taken advantage of as the reader. All these kind of cheap twists, and no real payoff, honestly. Yeah, no, um, I I agree. I there were just the most fleeting of moments where I thought, yo, okay, I this could be going somewhere. Mm. This could be going somewhere interesting. And honestly, the initial setup, a vaguely genderqueer person uh, falling in, in 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 sort of hesitating love with a really sort of dangerous guy involved in this like really toxically masculine um sort of crime syndicate like there's a story in there that is really interesting and really hot yeah and and it is not this story and that's another reason why i was so disappointed too because before this whole switcheroo with the amnesia which was so cheap and just really pissed me off to be honest i was expecting it to be just like a a told like a very straightforward story of maybe alejandro slowly coming to terms with the fact that he's i mean at least queer maybe like bisexual and and come in letting go of the death of his wife and child right the skeleton of this work has so many interesting parts that are just completely lost in the blender that this story is put through. <laughs> you know, we get we get interesting setup, a truly bizarre tonal shift halfway through, and then this, like, wet little fart of an ending <laughs> uh, where nothing is resolved, nothing Such is paid off. Just- if the second book actually is a sequel to this story, you know, fair enough. I guess you need to get that... that another three dollars uh for those really invested by the end and i think i do think that jay blair has like if it is a sequel he's got the responsibility to his readers to make it very clear that this is not the end of the story for these characters because the ending is such like it is such a horror movie ending the sort of like suspended tension and not in a good way of the situation like it's the opposite of a happy happily ever after which is 
is what like that's why readers read these things like they want they want it to be tied up neatly and it's not at all yeah there's there's certainly no catharsis from this there's certainly no wish fulfillment in this there's no wish fulfillment like i guess if your if your fondest desire is to take sexual advantage of a brain damaged person this is the book for you but and then live in constant in the constant fear of, fear them, of them waking you. up and then killing you in a righteous rage then I mean, if that's your kink, that's your kink, but... Yeah, um, it is not mine. No, no. So, Rachel, let's go over some of our favorites and our least favorites uh, in terms of turns of phrase that this work has thrown over us. I know for a fact that you and I picked the same uh, spot, and you said that it was one that you liked, and it is on my hate list. Well, actually, half of it's on my like list, half on something else. You know, it, it's one that I love to hate, and but sort of hate to love, too. Um, do which you, makes no sense, but, like, my feelings on this are so... Do you want to do the first two uh, sentences, and I'll do the last two? Yeah, okay. Yeah, this this paragraph is just a juggernaut of, <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> of description. I, I found it to be marvelous. Like, I, I laughed with, like, unrestrained glee. I, I read this work while I was at my job. Uh, I'm a brave man. And uh, the noise that I made at my desk when I read this paragraph. Can you can you replicate it? I can, but I won't. <laughs> I'll just imagine what that yeah. sounded like. Just have you ever um, imagined someone sort of like stubbing their toe and sneezing at the same time? <laughs> that feels about right. So this, what we're about to read is all part of the same sort of passage. Oh, I love it. And I'll, I'll begin. If he could plow through me until I'm unbound by mortal flesh and questions of gender, that would be great. If he could fill me up like a stuffed turkey so wholly full (laughs) that I would be dismantled in joy and celebration to feed others, that would be wonderful, too. Uh, Trevor is overcome by the beauty of this turn of phrase. What the fuck? Who are the others being fed by what I would assume are just large amounts of semen? I don't know. Like, what the... What is this mental image that I'm seeing? What is... Like... I wish I was so stuffed with ejaculate. I wish I was so stuffed with ejaculate. I resembled a Christmas turkey and I was then devoured by I would just wheel you out on a trolley to the dinner table. This is... like This is my contribution. What the fuck is this? This is this this took a hard left turn into Vorville, and I don't why. But I love it because it's clearly like written so sincerely. I think there's no hint of like. No, it's not ironic. There, there's no tongue in cheek anything here. It's just Jay Blair was just speaking from Emmett's heart. <laughs> from yeah, uh, truly a moment of aching sincerity. Uh, I'm going to read the next half of that paragraph. Oh, please do. Uh, if he could just keep stripping his shaft inside and out of me, like a sapling meant to be smooth enough for an arrow's bow, that would make us equal, I feel. What he loses should fill me to bursting, confetti from a popped balloon at a wonderful party. What is this image? There, we're getting a lot of images here. Like a devoured tur- like Turkey t- full of semen. Turkey full of semen, a dick just peeling away, and then Emmett <laughs> pops like a balloon. I picture, like, is it cedar trees that have that peeling bark on them? I don't know. I don't know about trees. What are trees? <laughs> 
Something that you make an arrow out of. Well, something that you compare by fucking to... somebody with, I guess. Something <laughs> that you compare to a Sicario's penis. Wow, what a clusterfuck that sent. That Okay, go ahead. I want you to read through it all at once now. Just... Okay. <laughs> <coughs> if he could plow through me until I'm unbound by mortal flesh and questions of gender, that would be great. If he could fill me up like a stuffed turkey, so wholly full that I would be dismantled in joy and celebration to feed others, that would be wonderful, too. If he could just keep stripping his shaft inside and out of me, like a sapling meant to be smooth enough for an arrow's bow, that would make us equal, I feel. What he loses should fill me to bursting. Confetti from a popped balloon at a wonderful party. You sounded like the world's worst beat poet. (laughs) Or the world's best. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's why we do this, folks. We f- fucking shit like that. This is, oh, wow. This is why we're here. Yep. That was all I had for quotes, because Re- really... That's really, what else do you need? Um, what else do I need? I'm sure there's plenty. <laughs> what, did, I, what else did you like? What did I like? I have two lines here that I, I, I liked. During Alejandro and Emmett's initial seduction... They, At the country bar? Yes. Uh-huh. Emmett has a line after Alejandro asks him if he's into Latino men, which was the only instance in the book that I noticed of, like, outright Latino fetishization, which was nice. Like, Yeah, yeah, you do see that a lot. Uh, I, gay erotica. I expected anytime I see a work in the erotic genre wherein the race of a character is, like, super important. It's always terrible. Like... Even even our, our Scotsman fetish from last time, uh, you know, that, that element is so fetishized. And Alejandro's just a guy, like, his his weird hitman scars are fetishized more than the right. the color of his skin or his or his ethnic background. And the fact that his eyes are apparently deep and cavernous, like, so cavernous. That's the only description that we're ever given of them, is cavernous. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's felt like it was the only one. Yeah. It's the one easily it's the only outweigh, outweighing all the others. But so Alejandro asks him if, if he's into Latino men, and Emmett's response is, "All men feel the same in the dark. There's no reason to discriminate." <laughs> and that's that's the reason he gives not to discriminate because they're all the same in the dark. Mm-hmm. Not that there are other myriad reasons not to discriminate against somebody for being Latino. That's okay, Emmett. But you know, I I like the sentiment. I, I do. Yeah, uh, I mean, he meant well, I guess. And then later on in that same conversation, when he's talking about what a fucking cocktease Alejandro is, yeah. uh, he says, if you don't want to pull the trigger, don't cock the gun. Wordplay! I did like that. And I did like that Emmett was kind of setting that boundary of like, dude, listen, I got a boner under here. And either you're prepared to deal with it <laughs> yeah. or you're not. So we'll move into the hates, because I am out of things that I liked already. <laughs> oh, no. He thrusts while I sink, and after jackknifing together a few times... Ow! Jack- jackknifing is a bad word to use here. I'm not sure if it's as bad as skittered from last episode, uh, but it's certainly not a word that I associate with any sort of, like pleasurable interbody movement. No. Um, like, Jack and I, it just makes me think of, like, a fish like, flopping on, like... It, it's I, a very I, abrupt sort of unpleasant movement. Yeah, Jack and I, that's... You don't want to compare uh, your moments of intimacy to a stabbing. 
And yeah, after jackknifing together, that's instantly translated in my my brain as like a after sweatily flopping together. <laughs> uh, there's just nothing erotic about that turn no. of phrase. It's realism, though. Yeah, I mean, isn't I mean, so much of sex sweatily flopping together, though? I, uh, the initial penetration, though, no. that's when that comes up. Like, speaking as someone who is a, a sexually active gay man. Initially, you know, like being jackknifed into? No. <laughs> that is not how you have a productive evening. Uh, I wouldn't imagine so. The next quote that uh, sort of jumped out at me is when they're having breakfast after they're given their assignment. Mm. Uh, their, or Emmett's quote-unquote assignment. Uh, yeah, for Alejandro, this is just real life. And they, this is just Poor his guy. life now. Uh, they stop in Dallas, and Emmett talks about their plans using the following sentence. That means breakfast in the big D, as they call themselves. Do they, though? Uh, do they? <laughs> anybody uh, from Dallas, does anybody in Dallas call Dallas the big D? You know, my boyfriend lives in Dallas, actually, and I've never heard him use... That uh, that that particular descriptor. Fun fact, though, there is a uh, a roller derby team in Dallas that is called the Big D, but I don't think Jay Blair knows that. But is he fun ha- fact? Is is he having breakfast inside of that roller derby team? <laughs> <laughs> That's an entirely different erotica story. <laughs> oh, I want to read that one. And then we yes, Christmas turkey, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, stuffed turkey, stripping shafts, uh. His right hand stroking his cock as if he's petting an agitated pet to soothe it down. I don't like that. Mm-mm. That's, I'm, I'm, first I'm not of, comfortable with it. First of all, don't keep ascribing sentience to your genitals. That, I mean, Erotica works. You better get used to that, Trevor. Yeah, uh, I know. That, that ain't going anywhere. Second, um, you don't stroke your dick to soothe it down. <laughs> yeah, that's the exact opposite reason why you stroke it. Uh, you should know that, Jay. There's a line a little after Emmett uh, sort of takes off all of his clothes in the first sex scene between Mm -hmm. them. And I feel like this is just going to be a ghost that keeps haunting us through this entire work. Because the line is, I'm not a girl anymore. I'm a scrawny Scotsman in a kilt. It comes back around. It's back. It comes back around. It'll never leave us. I think that sound was my reaction, too, when I read that. (laughs) Because here we are again. We can't escape just like... The the overbearing sexuality of the Scottish people. (laughs) Hi, Scotland. Like a gas, it's just there. Oh, I hope we have Scottish listeners someday. That would be nice. I I hope. Sorry about all of this. I hope they aren't too pissed off. Uh, And the very last line that I have here: Alejandro, who is leaning with one arm on the banister, keeping his dick breath far away from these people. That's How did I miss that? That's uh, when the dumpy neighbors uh, visit after Alejandro gives him oral sex. Uh, he's got to keep his dick breath away from them. <laughs> so, did you find the sexuality in this work erotic? I feel like, well, let me preface this by saying that I was picturing Benicio del Toro the entire time. And can I just say that the man has aged like a fine wine? That's fair. If I had been picturing, actually, to be fair... Um, I pictured Alejandro kind of attractive in this. We're, we're given enough details to suggest that he's good looking, but we're mostly left to just let our minds wander into what he actually looks like. True. Um, so there's something I like about that too. Yeah. I like when you're giving, given kind of like some leeway to, and he's imagine not explicitly described as perfect. He's given 
these little bits that give him character and give him personality just in his in his appearance and and i thought that worked fine um so the actual performers in this work no i had no complaints about that right so sorry i interrupted your preface oh i'm sorry you interrupted my like my foray into 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 being thirsty being thirsty for uh Uh, a little bit but i mean beyond that though there, there started to be something sexy. I think about that first sex scene where you get Alejandro sort of like stripping away the problematic elements of, of him being like, let me see the real you because, even though you've told me that you prefer to, to live as a woman, that like I'm deciding that's not the real you. So disrobe. I don't know. There's some sort of like bearing, of vulnerability there that almost gave me a twinge of something but but then we started hearing about stuffed turkeys and yeah. and confetti popping full of semens and there's there's something initially attractive about this like dangerous powerful guy displaying this vulnerability and this tenderness Mm -hmm. until you think about it for three minutes and then you realize all of that's forced onto him Mm -hmm. like that vulnerability isn't isn't earned it's not given it's it's something that he doesn't have any choice in and it's not expressed genuinely either because he doesn't know who he is like he's sort of a blank slate of a person who's just trying to Every moment of actual sexuality in this work made me very uncomfortable. It's all and, lies. Yeah, it's all lies. All and, of it. And even the beginning, even before the amnesia, it's all and, a lie. Emmett, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If the guy doesn't know who he is, regardless of who he thinks he is now, if he doesn't know who he is, Don't he cannot give consent. Call your fucking priest. Call the police. You're a rapist, Emmett. Yeah. Like... It's deeply unsettling. It's it's not good. It's definitely not good. That said, even if you remove all of those problematic layers, the sex scenes are so brief and so underdeveloped. And where there is development, there's stuffed turkeys full of semen. Uh, where there is development, you wish there wasn't. Yeah. That I feel like even if you took away all the problematic stuff, the sex scenes wouldn't work. Yeah. Not great. Not super pleased. No, not super pleased at all. In any sense. Um, Do you want to read some consumer reviews? Let us take a look. I'd love to see if anybody uh, in the Amazon.com comment uh, sphere here picked up on the fact that this was a Sicario fan fiction. Do we see any of that? Uh, No. No, I do not. Oh, no. I'm so disappointed in these people. Oh, 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 Sicario. Lo- oh, oh no, no, that's just, it's not talking about the movie. It's just talking about that word. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to read the uh, top positive review or the top uh, critical review? The top critical review as a note. Oh, no, wait, there's, there's a two star one. Do you want to read the two star one, the three star one or the five star one? Uh, give me the three star. Okay. I will take the five star then. Yeah. Good start for an exciting series, says Mary B. The book blurb does a much better job of describing this book than I ever could. I found another author, Jay Blair in Undercover. What an amazing read. I was glued to my Kindle until I finished reading. We have suspense, lust brewing, and the different subplots that I did not see coming. Were there, did this movie have subplots? This movie barely had plot plots. This movie or this book? 
Shut up, Rachel. <laughs> Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> we have Emmett, a almost burned out FBI agent, not how I read him, uh, uh. and Alejandro, a hitman, each come together to help get the head of the drug cartel, the one, the one drug cartel. The heavy of the one drug cartel. Now both Emmett and Alejandro are coming with two different ideas on how to do their job. A hitman to revenge the death of his wife and daughter is the antithesis of an FBI does, agent. Does she mean avenge? To revenge the death. Mm-hmm. You're so hypercritical today. I do not do not know what to do with you. Not here for um, it. Emmett, on many occasions for his job, become a woman. M. Oh, this was so exciting. Another plot comes in with... What is happening in this review? Another plot comes in when their job goes to heck in a handbasket. Heck in a handbasket? You're really... Like, there is a fairly... There's come stuffed turkeys in this book, lady. You can say hell, I promise. Mm-hmm. Alejandro ends up with a head injury amnesia and they have to go into hiding as Alex and M because the cartel is now looking for them. This threw me for a loop. This is a very exciting read. I like the way Jay writes his sentence structure, his very word usage. I love that she specifically compliments his sentence structure, which is terrible. And most of all, his imagination. <laughs> oh, the irony escapes you, Mary. You didn't see Sicario. I enjoyed this read very much. I cannot wait for part two. I would recommend this for anyone wanting an exciting read. And I thought the cover was hot. We need to talk about the cover, by the way. <laughs> we need to. I have so much to say. Okay, let me real quick yeah. dip into this uh, three-star review. The book had 1,196 locations on my Kindle. I don't know what that means. I'm not well-versed in Kindle. The book was almost was about two it was almost about two men. Emmett, aka M, and Alejandro, aka Alex. Emmett was a gay federal agent who sometimes went undercover as a woman. Alejandro was a straight hitman for hire who was out to avenge the horrific deaths of his wife and daughter. Alejandro decides he would like to meet M. The two men go out to dinner. The book contained some kisses, decent oral sex, and anal sex, more than halfway through. Emmett was okay. I wasn't crazy about Alejandro. He had been a married man, yet in the blink of an eye, he was ready and willing to be with a man. He fell for Emmett a little too easily for my tastes. Well, that's what happens from brain damage and repeated vicious lies, Sandra. 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 That bitch. So that's what the internet thinks of this. So let's talk about the cover real quick. Mm. It's very CSI. It is very CSI, but I'd like to point out a few things. The fact that... First off, Emmett looks nothing like he's described. So yeah, Emmett's got a nice uh, dark beard, <laughs> short right hair, short hair, um, holding holding his his pistol. And let's talk about this pistol, right? So you see how it's secured by nothing to his hip? It's literally just photoshopped onto the side of his shirt. <laughs> that is something. <sighs> Why? <laughs> Why have the why have the pistol there? Why not, not put bother it in his pocket? To put it somewhere that makes sense. And why not even try to get a fucking a a model, a cover model who looks anything like the character being described? Yeah, it's, and it's really what, what is this crime scene tape? That wouldn't apply anywhere within the context of the book. No. Yeah. So. um... So the cover sucks. The cover sucks. As a uh, you know, two stars decided. book review, one star cover review. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about for this particular? You know, I feel just like wrung out, exhausted, dead inside, dead, 
I came into this dead inside, but I feel deader inside. All right. But it's it's been a wild ride. What can I say? It has. Um, if you are interested in catching up with uh, the rest of the Hidden Hitman saga, the mythos that uh, Jay Blair is building, you can find Jay Bear. <laughs> Jay Bear! Jay, Jay... alter ego for bear stories. <laughs> Jay Blair is building. You can check him out on Amazon. Uh, Hidden Hitman is available on there. It's zero dollars with Kindle Unlimited or ten ninety nine. Ten ninety nine uh, for paperback. Oh, good lord! It's only about one hundred and twenty pages too, so that's an expensive. Ten ninety nine for just the best in in Sicario fan fiction. The best in unintentionally rapey gay erotica. That's right. Actually, that's probably not true. I'm pretty sure there's. A vast menagerie of unintentionally rapey gay erotica on Amazon that we just have not even plunged into. There's probably a dark underbelly of very intentionally rapey gay erotica, too. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of, Rachel, I think uh, next week we might take a uh, trip beyond the stars. We're going to be... (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing there. Uh, We're going to be reading and critiquing and reviewing and crying over. And thoroughly enjoying... Claimed by the Alien, Alien Romance, by Celia Stiles. Also categorized in Alien Erotica, Sci-Fi Romance, Alien Abduction Romance, Big Beautiful Woman Romance, Interracial Romance, New Adult Romance. There's going to be a lot happening here, (laughs) and I can't wait. It is available on Amazon, uh, free uh, near Kindle Unlimited, or 99 cents to buy otherwise. So if you want to follow along with the gross little horror show that we run here, uh, please feel free to ke- check that out. Throw Celia Styles some cash. I'm sure that she deserves it. I'm sure of it. Well, that'll be it from us this week. I hope you guys had as good a time with this as we did. Uh, once again, my name is Rachel. <laughs> my name is Trevor. <laughs> this uh, is how addled our brains are after the trip we've just taken. <laughs> We're available on Google Play under the Smutcast. We're available on iTunes, also under the Smutcast. We're available on SoundCloud. You can also follow us on our Facebook page or on our Twitter. Again, holler at us. Holler at us. If you uh, like what we do here, please feel free to rate, comment, subscribe, uh, favorite, follow, whatever. Uh, your platform allows you to do to sort of keep the show running. You can also shoot us an email if you'd like at austinsmutcast at gmail.com. We'll be happy to hear from you. We're uh, going to be shaking up the show's sort of format here in the next few months. Nothing that that you should see an immediate change with as far as the next episode goes, Uh, but we got some exciting stuff planned, and we we hope that you stick it out with us and that you... uh, that you Stick it that. in with us. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. But thank right. you for listening, truly. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Your support means everything to us. All right. Have a good night, everybody. And stay throbbing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> we should leave all of that in. <laughs> <laughs>